Live from beyond the Beltway, this is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Arab-American journalist Ray Hanania, Republican commentator Stephanie Hitt, and Acton Institute Executive Director Eric Cohn. Our program tonight, coming to you from our home base at AM560, The Answer. That's in Elk Grove Village, just outside Chicago. Nice to have you with us. Hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday weekend. And uh, if you're driving home, it'll probably be a long drive tonight. But be careful on America's highways and byways. Tonight, we have lots to talk about. I want to begin by talking about the big news of this past week. Is uh, There was a release of some hostages uh, from, uh, from Gaza an exchange with prisoners with Israel, and uh, this is the first step. Uh, also, what has led to that is there has been a uh, temporary uh, ceasefire or a cessation of, of, of activities militarily at the moment, all temporary, but again, we're going to see how that holds, and I want to get reaction from our guests this evening and also for those listening out in radio and TV land at one 800 723 8289. Eric Cohn, I want to begin with you from the Acton Institute. You join us from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, how should we feel about this exchange? Should should we be euphoric about it? I mean, should we just plan that there's going to be these releases every, uh, you know, let's say five to seven days followed by, uh, you know, a timeout in the war? And should we be happy about that? Or just uh, it's just the story as it's unfolding? Well, I'm of two minds on this. Uh, one, I don't think is much of anything to be euphoric about. I think uh, we could certainly be glad that there are people who were taken hostage by Hamas on October 7, who are going to be returned to their families, who are going to be reunited with them. That is a good thing. Uh, the way, as I have seen this so far, that it appears to be structured is that you still have people who are part of a single family unit. Uh, they've released maybe uh, a mother and a child, but a grandfather is still being held or a husband is still being held. Uh, everything, of course, that Hamas can do to uh, make this as painful as possible for the people involved. So I'm I'm glad to see that uh, these hostages are being returned. But but even some of the language that we just uh, you know that, that we've heard about this, a prisoner swap. Well, I, it, this gives a kind of moral equivocation to that that is undeserved. I mean, the people who are being returned from Gaza are people who were civilians who were taken in a terrorist raid into Israel. And to equate them with people who have been through the Israeli justice system, people who have uh, committed acts that they were convicted for, I, I think is to apply a moral equivalence to this that I don't think is deserved. And the other thing that concerns me is that we are going to get a repeat of the cycle, that this is uh, you know, the way of getting a ceasefire uh, that some people have been calling for, but um, a way to put pressure on Israel to stop its campaign in Gaza, mm -hmm. which I don't think that they should until they have eliminated the threat from Hamas to the, uh, to mm -hmm. the extent that they think that they need to. Ray Hanania joins us. He is a veteran uh, Arab-American journalist. Uh, he is a Palestinian born in the United States. He's a Palestinian Christian, and uh, we welcome him to the program, longtime guest uh, on this program. Ray, what, what's your answer to the same uh, question? Well, it's always good, obviously, to see um, hostages or prisoners released. Um, it's uh, First of all, uh, Hamas is a terrorist organization. In my mind, it always has been. I've opposed them uh, since their foundation. 
um, and uh, they've always disrupted the peace process. I've always supported peace between Israelis and Palestinians. Um, but at the same time, I mean, this focus just on Hamas, I think, is wrong. You can't condemn Hamas and what they do if you don't condemn Israel's government. And when I talk about Israel's government, I'm talking about the current government of uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, which is led by the Likud party. So I could go through all this history and say that they're bad and Hamas is bad. Um, but I'd like to see both of the extremists out of the picture. And I'd like to see moderate leaders. I'd like to see the Labor Party come back. I'd like to see uh, the Palestinian Authority uh, reassert itself. But unfortunately, we're a long way from that because of bad leadership from the United States, um, an imbalance in the politics of, between the Arabs and the Israelis, um, and the important role that the United States plays, which really has been very pro-Israel and uh, in some cases good, but in a lot of cases bad. I want to come so, back. Yes, I, I want to come back and follow up on that in just a moment. But I want to head to Virginia, uh, where Stephanie Hitt joins us. Stephanie, nice to have you with us again, veteran conservative commentator. Uh, what is your take as a as as a as a mother? Uh, because so much of this story is being framed as children and and women uh, and their effects uh, and how they're being affected by this war. Well, the, the thing that I think, uh, you know, Eric sort of touched on this, and that is the sort of uh, moral or language equivocation of, mm -hmm. you know, prisoners and hostages. And we have to remember, as wonderful it is to see some of these young children being reunited with some of their family members, not all of them, because some of their parents were killed. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the contrast with, I just heard today, CBS said, describe the prisoner swap as six women and 33 children those were not the children are not prisoners in the in the israeli justice system system the problem is what they're doing is they're returning 33 teenage boys and they're calling them children as if somehow they're the same as the four-year-old daughters and the four you know the little girls that are being returned from Gaza. Mm -hmm. So I think what's really the most troubling is the media's attempt somehow to elevate what Hamas is doing as if somehow they're acting morally as well. We know that they're not. And is there too there, much in, in your in your mind Stephanie, is there too much focus on the children on both sides? I mean, both no, sides are using it for Israel propaganda. Side, that's what they took. They took children. They took families. They took young adults who were not military members. They were attending a festival, a music festival about love. That is not the same as imprisoning teenage boys who are raised and trained as terrorists and have committed terrorist acts. And by the way, the ratio. What about what? Like, no, but what? Uh, what, what about what? What about the murder? What about the murder? of women and children uh, from the Israeli Defense Force in their battle to take back uh, uh, Hamas and kick them out of uh, uh, Gaza. Aren't there children well, being murdered there? The, the, the people that are being murdered there are the ones being used as human shields. When you hide your weapons in a school, and these things have all been verified, when you hide your weapons in a school, when you hide your military outposts in hospitals, when you use the people, the women and children there, and you hide behind them and you use them as shields for your dirty acts, then 
Ray, yes, I want to go to Ray. I want to. I want to go. I want to. I want to get Ray's reaction to that because he's heard it for a long time. Ray. Well, I mean, listen. I'm in the middle of a bad situation because I have to defend something that I don't want to defend. But I will say this. Um, I, I think Stephanie, I, yeah. Stephanie, and uh, um, Eric are great people, but I don't think they know all the facts. Um, this year alone, 230 Palestinians were killed, civilians. Last year, 430 Palestinians were killed, civilians, by the Israeli military. We didn't hear anything about them, and I think that's unfair. Mm -hmm. Right, when we because come back, when we, when we come back, when we when we come back, we're going to continue this discussion. I'm Bruce Dumont. Don't go away. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice: red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing, and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike's subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike's sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. I think it's just vapor. Vaping is safer than smoking, isn't it? There's really not even that much nicotine in them, right? One vape pod has as much nicotine as one pack of cigarettes. My kid? My kid knows it's dangerous. 5.4 million American kids vape, and most think it's harmless. Get your head out of the cloud. Talk to your kid about vaping. Visit talkaboutvaping.org. That's talkaboutvaping.org. Brought to you by the American Lung Association and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Dr. Nia Hurd-Garris with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. As parents, we want our children to grow up healthy and strong. That means helping teens take responsibility for their health as they become young adults. One way to do that is to make sure they have one-on-one -on -one time with their pediatrician. That helps them become comfortable talking about any health issue with their doctors and with you. So make sure to give your teen a voice. It's good for their health. For more on teen health, visit HealthyChildren.org. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council.
Bruce Dumont back, and it's nice to have you with us this evening. Uh, I, I'd like to ask this question just, you know, of, of not only our guests this evening, but also the audience. I'd like to know whether your opinion of the Palestinian position, however you see it, has that changed in the last month or so? Do you, do you view the Palestinian cause more sympathetically now, or do you believe that they should be judged by what happened uh, in October, and they should be judged as Hamas is judged as a terrorist organization that literally is excited and applauds and celebrates the bloodshed that took place and killed so many 1,300 uh, in October. Uh, Got to get your reaction from that. But I want to begin with you, Eric, because uh, as Ray was speaking, I could I could sense that you were jumping at the bit to, to get in and challenge some of his points. So go ahead. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll answer your question that uh, my position on the Palestinian people has not particularly changed. Uh, my perspective on Americans who support the Palestinian cause, I think, has definitely been affected by what we have seen in the streets of major cities of people who have been tearing down the posters of the missing. Uh, I don't know if you saw the story of uh, the teacher who attended a pro-Israel rally in Queens, who was chased through the building of the school and who had to hide in her classroom for a while. Uh, the amount of anti-Semitism that we have seen come to the for over the last uh, couple of weeks has been absolutely alarming. Um, I, I, I have a heart for the Palestinian people. Uh, I think we should do well to separate those people from Hamas, uh, from the uh, terrorist organization who has uh, essentially them in their clutches. Uh, but the thing that has been most affected by, uh, at least my opinion has been most affected by, is the uh, Americans who are on the Palestinian side um, who have been more than willing to uh, just kind of gainsay what Hamas has done and look the other way. And uh, the, the um, again, just the amount of virulent anti-Semitism that we have seen at those rallies over the last couple of weeks has truly been alarming to me. Ray, do you yeah. see it the same way? <laughs> no, I don't. Um, I look at. And by the way, I, I don't mean I, I don't mean, uh, and you know, no, we've no, everyone. I, I I don't mean to right. uh, have you take on a role this evening that I did. <laughs> I didn't invite you to take on, and that is. To, to be the, the defender of Hamas, but I am uh, but not again, defend Hamas. I've no. been an outspoken. Critic I know you have since the nineties, right? Um, and but you know, there's a lot of history that's not understood. Eric is a smart guy, and so is Stephanie. She's very intelligent. Unfortunately, I don't think they get all the facts. I don't think they know about what happens to us. I don't think they see the uh, stories of uh, Palestinians that are brutalized here in the U.S. I don't see think that they see the difference between. Uh, how Israel treats Palestinians, Christians, and Muslims uh, in Israel. And I'm not talking about the Israeli people. I'm talking about the government. And the government has been extremists for the last 20 years, and we've empowered them. So Eric, and you know, no disrespect to Eric, because I've known him a long time. His examples are accurate, but they're not whole. So he's not showing the whole picture. He's showing one picture that advocates and advances one side. He doesn't show all of the picture. And I think that has always been the problem here in the United States. We don't get the whole picture. You don't see the people who are killed. When an American is killed, if they're Jewish, it's a very big story. If an American is killed and they're Palestinian American, it's pretty much blown over, brushed aside. The way Palestinians are portrayed, and I, I'm totally against violence. I am by the Palestinians, and the Israelis. To me, 
that's the proper position for people to be in. Speak about violence against violence on both sides. Don't just take, use violence and justify one political side. And again, no disrespect to Eric. Eric and I have known each other for years. Um, but I really think on this yes, issue- Yes, 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 Ray, Ray, yes, yes. I, I, I appreciate all of the kind words and all of that, but you know, you can gussy it up all you want to try to say it's that I'm ignorant and up. don't know what I'm talking about. Yes, that's exactly what you're saying, that I don't have the full facts as opposed to the reality, whereas I may be aware of all of these things, I have made an analysis of them, and these are where my opinions lie on all of it. This false both sides thing that you keep doing where you're talking that's about the false. awful things that Hamas does, and we're talking then about I'm the not democratically Hamas. elected palate, well, if you'd let me finish, you could actually hear the point. You, you know, all the facts that I don't know, you can then give to me afterwards, right? Um, you're, there's this equating that you're doing between, uh, the, between Hamas as extremists and the government of Israel as extremists, whereas I mean, you, you just cannot make that comparison I'm unless you're right you completely it's true. morally bankrupt. Yeah. Yeah. Eric, right. Israel's government right. is a government. Hamas isn't a government. Hamas is a militant terrorist organization. The Palestinians but don't I really agree. have Stop a government. The equivocation, then. Don't compare a government between militants and say somehow I'm one not side doing is that. doing you're bad doing and that. the other side is... No, I think you are, Eric. I think you no, are not. No, you're the one doing that, Ray. Why, you keep talking Ray, about Ray, 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 let me ask you this, let me ask you this question. Because the media has not really focused on this. How large is Hamas? Does anybody really know what an accurate number of Hamas is? We we know that Israel wants to eradicate them, but how many people do they want to eradicate? I mean, there are two million people in the Gaza Strip, and probably a hundred to two hundred thousand might be Hamas. But you're talking about uh, the rest of them who live in a dire, terrible situation. It's an open air prison. They can't do whatever they want to do. There's no freedom. It's still an occupation in a different way. Um, and their sympathies respond to seeing somebody that may be a relative who wasn't Hamas, who was killed. People get angry. People get frustrated. That feeds into the image that everybody in Gaza is Hamas. You know, I, you can look at the research. I've done extensive research. And I wrote for the Jerusalem Post. And one of the things I wrote about was how Hamas was founded. And it was founded with the backing of Israel. Israel created the Hamas organization back in the 70s and 80s, hoping that that would offset the secular Palestinian leadership. Instead, Hamas turned on Israel. And, and we have it. That I think that it was the worst thing to happen to this crisis for Hamas to enter the picture, just as bad as it was for Rabin to be killed and for the right wing to take over the government. I think those two things have destroyed peace in the Middle East and both sides. Don't talk about one side. Talk about both sides. All right. We're I want to I I ask, ask Stephanie to bring her back to the conversation. Right. Stephanie, how, how uh, confident are you that you have heard both sides? Um, I'm not confident only in that I know at, as a basic element that it is, there are, to understand the Middle East, it's the most un, it's the most complicated, twisted knot of history, tribalism, politics, religion, ethnicity, all of that. That said, um, back in 2007, we all knew, my hearts are with the women and children 
who live in Gaza because they're subjected to the rule of Hamas. Look what look what happened in 2007. That's who they elected. That's who ran Gaza. And if you had any doubts as to what, I mean, they weren't there to run a government and to provide economic opportunity. They were there to build their offense against Israel. And, but what, I want to touch on something that Eric did, and maybe we'll talk about this more. And what has, what has changed for me is the sickening reaction that is happening on our college campuses. These young radical leftists who don't, who don't know the history, who don't care to know the history, who, and the activism that's happening, uh, especially on our college campuses. I happen to be an alumna, alumna of one of the seven colleges that were, that are being, that's being investigated by the Department of Education. And I've been very involved with the, um, Friends of Israel alumni group, and it is a, appalling the things that um, the president of the college allowed to go on campus, the tepid response, the moral equivocation of anti-Semitism with non-existent Islamophobia on campus, and things like that. And amazing, it is amazing, the fear that these college presidents have of these radical activists who don't know what they're talking about and who equivocate the murder, the cold-blooded, cruel, right. awful torture and murder of children and babies Stephanie, in front of their mothers stick and with, Ray, with, I want, I want to get, with what happens in war. Okay, I want to get Ray's reaction to your description of what's happening on college campuses. Is there, is, is there a lot of truth to what Stephanie had to say, Ray. Yeah, yes, there is anti-Semitism at many college campuses, but there's also Islamophobia and anti-Arab uh, discrimination at many of those same campuses. Here's a challenge that I have for Eric and Stephanie. I have condemned Hamas, and I've condemned Israel's government. I've only heard them condemn one side. And to me, that's because this plays well on the far right and the right political spectrum going into this coming election. This is about politics. And as horrible as these acts are, they are absolutely horrible. And every criminal should be arrested and charged and prosecuted under the rule of law. But I have criticized both violence on both sides. I have not heard them criticize violence on the other side. Only one right. side. Eric, reaction to you problem. first. I appreciate Ray for making the point that I was making just a few moments ago, that he's making this moral equivocation between Hamas and the government of Israel, as if they are both to be condemned as the same thing. They are not. And the only way that he can that he can make that case is by engaging in this kind of morally bankrupt analysis that he is doing. I also appreciate his uh, implication on me of what my motives are. And I know Ray to be, again, I'll do the same thing that Ray does all the time. Ray's a smart guy and he's a great guy and we go way back, but I continue to be the only expert on my own motives so ray can attribute them to whatever he wants in his mind i know why i'm saying the things that i'm saying when we come back we're going to let stephanie weigh in as well i'm bruce dumont we've got a great conversation going on this evening weigh in on it 1-800-723-8289 i'm bruce dumont coast to coast and border to border beyond the beltway Bye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. 
Fare thee well, Kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or... For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. Let's be honest. The National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at nhtsa.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit nhtsa.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Matthew. Huh? Oh, sorry. It's okay. I just need you to listen to me. I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you. And what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest, no kid likes rules, but I get why we have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thanks, Mom for never giving up and always being my biggest fan. Thank you for letting me know what you expect so I can try to meet your expectations. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. I think it's just vapor. Vaping is safer than smoking, isn't it? There's really not even that much nicotine in them, right? One vape pod has as much nicotine as one pack of cigarettes. My kid? My kid. My kid knows it's dangerous. 5.4 million American kids vape, and most think it's harmless. Get your head out of the cloud. Talk to your kid about vaping. Visit talkaboutvaping.org. That's talkaboutvaping.org. Brought to you by the American Lung Association and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back. We continue with Beyond the Beltway from coast to coast and border to border. At this point, we let each of our guests take a moment to introduce themselves. And we're going to begin with Stephanie Hitt. Stephanie, go ahead. I'm um, a Republican activist. Uh, I started my politics career uh, in early 2000 as a delegate uh, to the National Convention. And since then, I've been involved in um well, mostly commentary, but I spent the last uh, previous year as the campaign manager for the U.S. Senate candidate in the state of Illinois, a tough place to be a Republican. Um, and I got to see I got to see how the sausage is made. And frankly, I'd rather be a food critic than make the sausage. OK. And uh, who is your candidate for 2024? Oh, 
for president of I, is I am a I'm a fan of Ron DeSantis. But okay. Bruce, you and I had a conversation last week where yes. I had this bizarro thought after you know the uh, the last election cycle here, yeah. you know, um, and what happened in, Virgi- in Virginia and Ohio, and not that he's my top candidate, but Republicans do have to worry about the abortion issue. And I feel like there's one candidate that actually could avoid that. Maybe it's because he's the most controversial, but I think there's only one candidate that isn't going to be um, anchored down by that issue. And it's probably going to be Donald Trump. Okay. We're going to so, talk about that a little bit later on in the broadcast. We can broadcast. talk about that later. But, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. We're, we're not going to spend the whole time talking about uh, the Middle East, but we're going to spend uh, the first hour. Sorry to scare uh, you guys. That's okay. <laughs> Eric uh, Eric Cohn, tell us a little bit about yourself when you're not uh, joining us here on Beyond the Beltway. I'm uh, the Director of Marketing and Communications at the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty, though I should note that all the opinions expressed here this evening are my own and not those of the Acton Institute. Uh, I host our podcast, uh, Monday Roundtable Podcast, Acton Unwind, and I'm the occasional interview host of our interview podcast, Acton Line. You can look for both of those wherever you get fine podcasts. And I'm also the producer of a documentary film called The Hong Konger, Jimmy Lai's Extraordinary Struggle for Freedom, a story about a political dissident in Hong Kong, newspaper publisher who is currently imprisoned by the Chinese Communist Party, awaiting a trial that is supposed to start on December 18th. And if you want to learn more about that, you can go to freejimmylie.com. The full film is available on YouTube. You can look it up there searching The Hong Konger. It's an excellent film. Uh, I've seen it, and uh, I would recommend it to everyone. Ray Hanania, a little bit more of your background. It's illustrious. It's a big Wikipedia <laughs> entry, my friend. I've been around a long time. I covered Chicago City Hall for 17 years. That's where I cut my teeth writing five, six stories a day. Uh, when Jane Byrne was the mayor and Harold Washington was the mayor, it was tumultuous, but it really uh, taught me about journalism. Um, I've gone on to launch my own company, Urban Strategies Group. Uh, I do some media relations for a bunch of uh, uh, elected officials and governments in Illinois. I also am the U.S. Special Correspondent for Arab News um, in uh, the Gulf for Saudi Arabia, Dubai. Uh, they have editions in Paris and uh france and in uh uh, england and london and all over the place i also write for a bunch of local community papers the southwest news herald the regional news and the des plains valley news and uh, i get dragged into uh you know the middle east conflict all the time because i'm one of the high profile palestinian americans you don't see a lot of us around there i think i was the first or second palestinian journalist in the country to work at a daily newspaper Mm -hmm. in the 70s um, so, uh, you know, I just try, I'm very how conservative. Does the, my how, does the Pal- how does the Palestinian community, at least in the Chicagoland area, how do they view you, Ray? Do they view you as a, as a stalwart supporter or as a potential sellout? Well, I mean, there are a lot of Palestinians who don't like me. There are a lot of Jews who don't like me. There are a lot of Israelis that don't like me. There are a lot of Arabs that don't like me. Remember, I'm a journalist. I'm a writer. I write op-eds. Um, and uh, you can go to Hanania.com to see all of that stuff that I do. But uh, uh, that's what journalism is about, telling people what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. And sometimes they don't want to hear what I write. 
Good point. Yeah. And also uh, Air Force uh, uh, veteran. And a veteran. I always love to throw that in the face of people that say I'm unpatriotic. I go, hey, did you serve during the military? I served during the Vietnam War. Oh, you didn't? Let's go. I'll, I'll sign you up. You can use me as a recommendation. And it also, uh, <laughs> you, your, your father was active in the military as well, right? Yes. My brother was a Marine. My father was in the OSS, which was the precursor to the uh, CIA. Uh, he served uh, in uh, Europe fighting the Nazis. Uh, during the Holocaust and uh, trying to save the Jews. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, last week, uh, we left to call her on the line, but she has called back. She lives in San Diego now. She's a frequent guest on this program. Joy, we reach out to you. Nice to have you back. Uh, what's, your, what's your question for tonight? Um, it may be a little inarticulate, but I've been trying to learn more, and one of my Stanford business school classmates was in the State Department for decades and an invoice to the Middle East. And my old church in Palo Alto, California, has a researcher um, from um, Stanford, Byron Bland, who has done a lot on reconciliation and such. And so just three of the things that they have mentioned is that along with the United, or along with um, Israel, I think, also the United States had a hand in Hamas being developed. I think Condi Rice might have been involved in, in encouraging that. Um, the second is that Netanyahu has never favored a two-state solution. So as long as he's in office, it's just not going to happen. Um, and I think third is that they did all let's, said let's, uh, that let's enjoy take take a break hard. take okay. a take a break let's let's get reaction uh, from the first two points first of all uh ray to you about uh, netanyahu uh and uh, a two-state solution he's not a fan of that right no and he's opposed the peace process and unfortunately uh you know since rabin there really hasn't been anybody who is genuinely 100 percent into making peace it's not an easy thing to do Anybody that thought that just signing that agreement in 1993 that I was at, by the way, I met Rabin, I met uh, Yasser Arafat, I met Clinton. Um, I thought it was a great effort. It didn't go anyplace, unfortunately. Uh, it needed a lot of time. And, but it was easy for Hamas to use suicide bombings to destroy the peace process. And it was easy for Netanyahu's disciples, like the man who killed Yitzhak Rabin, who assassinated him, to bring the peace down. And I think it's terrible because they're extremists on both sides. And I really think we need to focus on that extremism and not look at this as Arab versus Jew or Israeli versus Palestinian, but extremists versus moderates. Right. And that's the real war. Okay. Eric Cohn, your reaction to that? Uh, I think Ray was mentioning the uh, or alluding to the Oslo Accords in there. There have been numerous parts in this process where the Palestinians have been offered a state and uh, the leadership of the Palestinian Authority and uh, certainly Hamas, who has written in their charter uh, that the state of Israel should not exist, has not been willing to accept that. So, you know, look, look I mean, it, it is very easy to say one is in favor of peace and one is in favor of a process that they presume is going to lead to peace. I think we have seen that uh, the negotiations have not headed in that direction and 
for a whole lot of very complicated reasons. So, you know, would it be great if there were a two-state solution? Of course there would, but um, there are certainly parties involved that do not want that and for their respective reasons. What about the what about the American politics of it? How has that changed over the uh, the years, Eric? I mean, I'm talking about Republican Democratic politics now. Well, I mean, I think it has changed in the sense of uh, if you go back to the last Democratic National Convention, you had um, a motion uh, for, I think, a plank in the platform that was supportive of both God and Israel that was booed from the floor of the Democratic Convention. Um, I think you also have had a rise of a lot of foreign policy uh, skeptics, I guess we should say, within the Republican Party, people who are a lot more non-interventionist than the Republican Party has previously previously been associated with. So I, I think you're seeing the same kind of realignment going on with questions of foreign policy as we are seeing on domestic questions as well, where uh, a lot of uh, a, a lot of the last the understanding of the last couple of decades has been thrown up in the air by the last few election cycles. Stephanie, as a Republican, do you do you see? Uh... Do you see those uh, changes in the Republican Party as split? You know, I do. I well, I, well, I think more so. I think the changes you see are mostly in the Democrat Party, right. and that's where you're seeing the schism. Where and you I'm going to talk about that, that, but I wanted I wanted to find out yeah. from you whether you see any of that in the Republican Party. Not really, and you know, it's very interesting. As I would say, the the Republicans were a hundred percent behind Donald Trump when it came to the Abraham Accords. And uh, I think no matter what side you're on, I think people are going to say that was a good thing. And even the Biden administration, although they will not credit Trump for it, um, see the the pros and the advantages and and the progress that that had made. Um, But, you know, what we're seeing is one uh, Republicans have been stalwart Israel supporters for a long time. And some of that is based on the fact that we're looking at a country that it has a constitution. They have parliamentary elections. Uh, they have disagreements that they fight about. I mean, they just went through a whole battle regarding their Supreme Court, but they have a justice system. And it is one of the few countries in that region that has what we consider a, a true democracy. And frankly, um, it's one of the few countries that that shares in the concept of natural rights. I'll tell you what, I'd rather be a woman in Israel than in other parts of the Middle East. Okay, we've got to pause. Uh, Ray, I want to get your reaction on Republican-Democratic politics on this issue. I'm Bruce Dumont. Don't go away. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine, vinegar, and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike's sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. 
Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. What if the music stopped? If the familiar voices were silenced? If there were no breaking news updates? What if your companion and connection to your community came with a monthly fee? Don't worry, we're free local radio with you wherever you go. Celebrating 100 years and looking forward to the next 100. We are broadcasters. Text radio to 52886 and let Congress know you depend on your local TV and radio stations. This message furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters. Why was the basketball court all wet? Because the players kept dribbling on it. The dad joke. Corny, groan-worthy. But also, one of the simplest ways to share a moment with your kids. What did the buffalo say when he dropped his son off for school? Bye, son. <laughs> so take a moment to make your kid laugh, because dad jokes rule. Make your kid laugh today. Go to fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. I mean, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. We continue on the last November, last Sunday in November, and it's nice to have you with us this evening. Ray Hanania, back to you as far as Republican uh, and Democrat presidential politics. How is this issue uh, affecting uh, what lies ahead uh, come November? Well, I think that uh, this Israel-Gaza war is going to have a very negative impact on Joe Biden, um, who I think been a very good president. Anyway, um, I think it's going to undermine him in several of the states that he won, like Michigan, uh, that Trump had won previously. Um, his partnership with the Arabs turned out to be, uh, you know, a hoax. I think I, I just don't I never believed him. You wanted to believe him. It wasn't going to do it. But on the other hand, I'm looking at the Republican side and they're in total disarray. Donald Trump, who faces 91 indictments, is, pro is leading the polling. I'm not going to I don't know how any Republican can be very proud of the party today when none of the candidates who have been on these debates have really uh, struck a chord. A couple with of voters. Ray, let me uh, Ray, let me just interject. A couple of weeks ago, we had a Palestinian political leader as a guest on this program, and he made the comment that uh, Joe Biden is losing Uh, the Arab American Muslim vote, and he may not be uh, gaining a lot of the Jewish vote. Um, and I'm wondering 
whether you would go that far as to say, let's, certainly in the state of Michigan, where there's a large number of Arabs uh, living, um, that that might be true. That he's well, it, it doesn't take a genius to see that uh, Biden has lost the Arab vote, not just the Arab Muslim and Muslim vote. You know, Arabs are only like 30 percent of the Muslim population in this country. Um, the majority of Muslims don't support Biden anymore. But there are a lot of Christian Arabs like myself who no longer support Biden. It's just not going to happen. And uh, I think that it's really at some point, I think Democrats have to decide it. And I think now's the time. Maybe they should find a new candidate to run, not just because of the Israel-Gaza war, but because of his uh, worse than Ford stumbles. I don't know of any other president who have made so many bumbling comments since Gerald Ford than uh, Joe Biden. But what about what about Donald Trump? Does he, uh, uh, because of the Abraham Accords, I can see why right. a lot of Jewish supporters would would gravitate to him. But uh, does he have much chance in the uh, Arab and Muslim uh, voters of America? No, the Abraham Accords were never popular with the Arab American population. I know that. Um, I was there when it was when they some of them were signed. I was at Jared Kushner's uh, uh, Peace for Prosperity conference in Bahrain uh, and covered that. I had a chance to talk to Jared Kushner, and I think he recognized that uh, this wasn't about Arab Americans anyway. This was about the Middle East, getting the Arab countries to refocus on Israel and push the Palestinian conflict to the side. I think this Israel-Gaza war shows us that you can't just push it to the side. It needs to be resolved. And I think now we're looking at an Arab world that is completely turning away from Israel. And I think that's a mistake. It's not something I want to see. I want to see peace between the Israelis and the Arabs and they need to do something about the Palestinians. Eric, do you see that the uh, the, the Arab nations uh, in the area are turning away from uh, uh, Israel? Well, we know they've been turning away from pa- the Palestinians because they, they've had the ability to help the Palestinians, and they haven't stepped up and done much, have they? I think it's too soon to tell if they are really effectively turning away from the Israelis, if we're going to see the kind of a rupture in the Abraham Accords of the countries that were a party to all of that. I do want to come back to the domestic politics question, though, which is, you know, I, I hear what Ray is saying in terms of, you know, losing a favorability for Joe Biden. You know, the as, as much as I find uh, this question annoying, um, a lot of people are going to go into a ballot box in November of next year, and they are going to have to choose really effectively between Joe Biden in all likelihood and Donald Trump in all likelihood. And I just find it very, very hard to believe that a lot of people in uh, in Michigan are going to decide to either uh, sit out or vote for Donald Trump and flip that state over to Trump, given, again, the, the history of the Republican Party and this, particularly the Trump administration and its foreign policy views that we just went through. So, you know, I, whether or not they approve of the job he is doing is Does, one question. Whether or not they will vote for him next year is an entirely different question. I am incredibly dubious that they will not vote for Does him. Does Cornell West, I mean, uh, because he has focused on Michigan <laughs> as the key to, to his success— <laughs> Not that he's going to win the presidency, but uh, could he in certain areas, the the large Arab area, uh, areas around Dearborn and also in Flint, Michigan, with a large black population, uh, could could he flip enough votes there 
so that Joe Biden would not win Michigan? So first, uh, he would need to get on the ballot, and I don't know that he is in a position to get on the ballot, but let's assume for a minute that he is going to. Um, I find it very unlikely. I mean, yes, there are going to be people who are going to look for a repository for a protest vote, but most people, even at a time over the last two election cycles, especially 2016, where we had a case of the most and second most disliked presidential candidates in American history. And most people still decided to go with one of the two of them instead of any of the other. Gary Johnson, former governor of New Mexico, was the libertarian on the ticket in all 50 (laughs) states. And he actually underperformed his very, very low expectations. So Mm -hmm. I just... I, yeah. the, the role of third parties in American politics is basically like bees. They have their effect by stinging once and then they die. And there just isn't a coherent message around any of the third party candidates other than competing cults of personality around Cornell West or Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, and then there's whatever mess is going to come out of the Libertarian Party. It, mm-hmm. Third and parties, just, I don't think, are going to be a huge factor. Yeah. And Jill Stein. She's she's yeah. running as a. As yes. A and Jill Stein is right. back. Oh, because yeah. Don't yes, like her. a bad case of bad clams. Jill Stein is back. And Marianne <laughs> Williamson, if uh, she stays in the race. Anyway, uh, yeah. we have, uh, for those who are listening uh, to the broadcast this evening, we're going to switch gears. We are no longer going to be talking about the Arab-Israeli situation in the next hour. We're going to be switched to domestic politics and also uh, illegal immigration and how the United States deals with it, including migrants on the street that uh, may be approaching you. They're, they're approaching us in Chicago on a regular basis, and I want to get everybody's reaction to how you would react if somebody came up and said they needed help. I'm Bruce Dumont. Another full hour of Beyond the Beltway comes up. Don't go away. Guests continue when we continue. I'm Bruce Dumont. Back in Chicago, we continue with our number two of Beyond the Beltway with our guests, Ray Hanania joins us, and Stephanie Hitt joins us from the great state of Virginia, and also Eric Cohn joins us uh, from Michigan, uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. And uh, in this hour, I want to switch gears from talking about the Middle East, because I don't think there's going to be a resolution to that. We can talk about it next week, (laughs) probably a, a month and maybe even a year from now. But I would like to talk about something, and I want to get reaction from everybody, and that is the issue of the the, the migrant crisis, the illegal immigration uh, crisis that we have in the United States, uh, where migrants are, are are coming to all large cities. And I want to get reaction because they do certainly exist in Chicago. We've talked about that, and Ray lives in Chicago, so he will attest to uh, the the number of migrants that he may run into on the street. But I want to go to uh, Virginia to find out. Uh, from you, Stephanie, uh, uh, is the are, are the migrants uh, and illegal immigrants on the street? Are they are they apparent? Are they are they at your feet, in your face, in the community where you yes. reside? Yes, they are, and I think that's that's one thing that's been really noticeable just even in the last year. Um, you now get to you know you drive by certain. Um, corners and you'll see groups of men standing around that you didn't see before looking for jobs Uh Um, on almost every single intersection corner you'll see uh, maybe a mother and some children or 
Um, so not your typical homeless situation where you might see veterans with signs and so on, but you're starting to see families. And I would say in the last year, it has really accelerated. It's visible. I noticed this even, but when I've been back in Chicago, there are parts, if you go out into the suburbs, um, you'll go up along main thoroughfares and there are there are groups of families that are coming out at the stoplights in a way that how are I, you I've never seen How before. are you reacting? How, how are you personally reacting when you see this? Yeah. Well, you know, I, you always have to sort of assess. That's always the tough question. Um, as a devout Catholic, you know, I do believe, you know, for the least of these, you do for me. Um, so, you know, if you can, I, I actually do, will hand, you know, some money if it's safe to do that. Um, our, one thing I've noticed is, uh, I've been very active in, um, our church homeless shelter and things like that. And that's, those are the people doing the real work right now. Yes. It's not the city, not the governments. The people that are doing the real work are the churches and uh, we have a big um, Catholic Charities uh, office here, just not too far from here, an organization. The trucks are full. They're loading up. They're begging for people to come help mm -hmm. and distribute things. Um, clothes, clothing drives are, I, I've never seen such a move for these. And especially right. in Chicago, I can imagine, the right. coat drives. I want to go to, uh, Eric, uh, you, you reside in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, uh, has the migrant crisis affected uh, life on the street in Kalamazoo and Grand Rapids, rather? I'm sorry. Uh, no, not that I could say that I have noticed. I mean, there is a um, there, there's a homeless population in Grand Rapids, as you will find in just about any mid-sized city to major city. Uh, to the extent that I am able to distinguish the uh, uh, the homeless population here in Grand Rapids um, that has been here from anybody who may be a migrant coming into the, this country, I, I don't know, and I'm not 100 percent sure. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, one can certainly see the stories from around the country, major cities like Chicago, New York City, and how they are struggling to deal with this problem to understand that it is a major problem and as somebody who is in uh, favor of a, a lot of immigration to this country i would think it'd be really helpful let me put it this way the immigration policy i'm in favor of at the moment is the united states having one because we don't have one currently yeah. it is a giant godforsaken mess and we need to actually do something about it that one opens up avenues for people who do want to come here legally to be able to do so without it taking about 175 years, which is about the wait time for an unskilled worker at this point, yeah. but also that allows yeah. us to control the border in a meaningful way why so don't we don't have crises why don't like you these think, on a regular basis. Why don't you think it's been resolved? And I want to get Ray's reaction as well. We're going to start with you, oh, okay. Eric Weber. Why don't I don't you, think why do you that think it has it's been, been in anybody's. I don't think it's been in anyone's political interest necessarily to resolve it because both parties have discovered that they like having the issue more than they would like having the resolution and the downsides yeah. of having to agree on some kind of a compromise. I think you see this in so many elected officials where they want the, the executive branch to take action, because even as a congressman, if you have an 80 20 issue that you're in the 80 percent side of. Well, you can get the upside of the president doing the good thing for the 80% of the people and then not have to take the blame from the 20%. You can just blame it on the president of the United yeah. States. So I just don't think that there's a desire to come to any kind of agreement because it would mean having to compromise on something. And both parties just like having the issue is one that they can use in elections. Right. Do you agree with that, Ray? Well, 
Yeah, I, I do agree with it because I, I remember uh, when uh, Luis Gutierrez first ran for Congress, immigration was his big issue. Um, he was in Congress, what, 20 years or so and yeah. did nothing about immigration except talk about it and use it for empowerment. Immigration is a political issue that certain groups use to empower themselves. And I'm not sure everybody wants it resolved. My parents came to this country and legally they were immigrants from the Middle East. Um, they went through the process. There was a legal process. We don't enforce that anymore. Today, we and we mix terms. I mean, we talk about migrants and homeless. You know, there are a lot of homeless people who are citizens. Right. 580,000 homeless people, and we don't even talk about them. We do nothing right. for them. Probably 20% of them are veterans. Uh, but but when you see a good, a good example, though, I mean, because and again, we, we did a whole show on this about a month ago. And again, it, it was so clear that that the the policy of the United States as it relates to immigration is an absolute mess. This is created by Democrats, Republicans, and it is a mess. Uh, if you just follow chapter and verse, if you're trying to do it, you know, by the law, it's so confusing and it's all it's all screwed up. But my question to you is, Ray, and I, I want to get into sort of, you know, just personal reaction now. When you see someone who says uh, that they're a homeless vet, you're a veteran as well. I mean, do you think that that is it is is that a veteran that that could go to the VAA, VAA and, and, and get some support or does he have to really be on the street? It, listen, if people were in there, and I don't know how to say this without being indelicate, if you were in your right mind, you would do the right thing. You'd go to a shelter. You'd stay there. But a lot of these homeless people have PTSD. They have uh, problems. They can't deal with it. I happen to have a sister who's been sick for 45 years, um, and there's no answer to her schizophrenia. It's a problem she has. She thinks she's doing the right thing, but I know she's not. She doesn't take her meds a lot of times. So um, I think this problem extends to a lot of people out there. They're not the answer to their own problem. We should be the answer. I feel sorry for these people. I feel sorry. I don't want to see kids on the street, but this is an expense. This is costing us a fortune. I mean, uh, Illinois, what did uh, uh, Pritzker set aside, what, 12, yeah. what was it, 12, 65 million for yeah. 12,000 migrants. Drop in the bucket. Extrapolate that into the, We've, the we got we got to pause. Billion. We, we, we got to pause. I'll let you rerun those when we come back. I'm Bruce Dumont. Don't go away. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike's sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike's subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike's sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. 
Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. I think it's just vapor. Vaping is safer than smoking, isn't it? There's really not even that much nicotine in them, right? One vape pod has as much nicotine as one pack of cigarettes. My kid? My kid, My kid knows it's dangerous. 5.4 million American kids vape, and most think it's harmless. Get your head out of the cloud. Talk to your kid about vaping. Visit talkaboutvaping.org. That's talkaboutvaping.org. Brought to you by the American Lung Association and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Dr. Nia Hergaris with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. As parents, we want our children to grow up healthy and strong. That means helping teens take responsibility for their health as they become young adults. One way to do that is to make sure they have one-on-one -on -one time with their pediatrician. That helps them become comfortable talking about any health issue with their doctors and with you. So make sure to give your teen a voice. It's good for their health. For more on teen health, visit HealthyChildren.org. As uh, homelessness and how we treat uh, migrants in the United States, uh, many of whom, if they've come to big cities, uh, sent to big cities by uh, the governors of uh, Texas and, and Arizona, uh, uh, and they did that because the cities uh, and the recipient cities, uh, they've bragged that they are sanctuary cities, they're welcoming cities, and uh, basically Governor Abbott said, well, we're going to put up or shut up because we can't deal with all of this in the state of Texas. And I think he was on the right. He was on the right track in sending, uh, you know, tens of thousands uh, ultimately uh, to bigger cities to deal with. Because once they hit the big cities, you know, at least in Chicago, they are they are surrounding all the police stations. They are now looking to create new shelters in the city of Chicago. But in the meantime, some people fall through the crack. And, and I, uh, I can, from a personal standpoint, I know coming home from the theater uh, movie last night uh, outside my, uh, you know, my, my condo, uh, I noticed uh, there was a family from Venezuela, uh, a young father, a young mother, and a child, I would guess maybe two or three years old. And they were, they were freezing on the streets. Uh, they, they did not have a tent. Uh, most of those that have come to Chicago are in tents that have been donated uh, to the city of Chicago. 
and uh, there are these tent cities surrounding police stations. But this was someone just out there on the cold. And again, uh, you know, I, I can't speak Spanish, and they couldn't speak English, so it was hard to do much about it. But uh, I, I was thinking about it for basically the rest of the night, trying to fall asleep to figure out whether or not, uh, on an individual basis, uh, people should be trying to help people like this on individual in individual cases, because in the city of Chicago, and I said this last week, I think the city of Chicago has done a pretty good job of understanding that once somebody comes to the city, and again, it's been in a, handled in a haphazard way, they were able to get tents. They decided that they were going to surround the, the exteriors of the police station, so there was a built-in you know, security uh, of a positive nature to it. And there hasn't been any, uh, at least based on my reporting, there hasn't been any you know, crime surrounding uh, those police stations. And now you're moving to the next step, trying to find a warm place for them to live in uh, in better housing than just, a, you know, a cot and uh, or a concrete on a street of Chicago with a tent over your head. So I, I think the city of Chicago is doing as best a job as it can. Uh, there's not as many as uh, we would like to have. We have had situations where hotels, literally hotels just off Michigan Avenue, have turned into uh, uh, rather disreputable uh, situations, and the local community has been hollering for them to be moved out of those hotels. So it it there is no easy answer to it, but I, I'm wondering, and this is this is more uh, about the homelessness that we have with American homeless versus the migrant, because we don't know yet within the migrant community, whether there's a degree of either alcoholism, drug abuse, uh, or, or substance abuse, or mental illness. We don't know that. We may surmise it, but we don't know that. We do know from the homeless population that these other maladies of, of drug abuse and alcoholism and, uh, and, and substance abuse and, and crime do exist. So one suggestion that Donald Trump made a couple of months ago was that maybe we have reached a point where we have to think about reinstitutionalizing those tens of thousands that are tens of millions that are on the street, probably not tens of thousands, but uh, certainly not tens of millions that are on the streets of America. And Eric Cohn, I want to begin with you. Uh, the transition away from institutionalization uh, happened over 50 years ago. It took a lot of political pressure to get it done. But is it time to rethink about institutionalizing, you know, those people that have fallen through the cracks and live on America's streets and are in our face uh, as we go about our daily business? I'd be remiss if I didn't make the point that one of the things that started the move towards uh, deinstitutionalization was one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Yes. And it really was an inflection point in the yep. way that people thought about these issues. Mm -hmm. um, Look, we have this story that happens frequently in American civil and political life where the pendulum swings in one direction and it swings too far back in the other direction. So absolutely, prior to this movement in the 1970s, you had uh, it would be far too easy for an abusive husband to institutionalize his wife if uh, if he wanted to. Uh, people could abuse a system where it wasn't all that difficult to institutionalize people against their will. 
It swung back the other way, where it is now much too difficult to institutionalize people against their will. And there are cases that call for that. Um, so I, I think, yes, we have moved too far in the other direction in an almost inhumane way, right? So we see right. what is going on in the streets of major cities. Um, and as, as Ray was pointing out, you know, these are a lot of the homeless crisis to a great extent is a mental health crisis. It is a drug addiction crisis. It is a lot of other maladies and ailments that are putting mm -hmm. people into these situations. It, it is also a diminishment of the kind of social capital that most people have, right? If you hear the slogan of, you know, there before the grace of God go, I, I could be homeless tomorrow. For most of us listening to this, that's just not true, right? Like I would have to exhaust a whole lot of family and friends before I wouldn't have a place for my family to sleep. So there are a whole lot of issues that are going into this, but you know, the ability and the need to get people help, even if they don't necessarily want it and how difficult that is, is one of the problems that needs to be addressed. Is this a political movement? Uh, uh, as you see it, uh, Stephanie, is this a, is this a political yeah. movement that, that really could grow based on the frustration that people have now with homeless. And I'm talking yeah. about American homeless now. I want to separate that well, from the migrant it, crisis. Is it, I don't is know that a that political, a, is that a, like, like Donald Trump has suggested, is, is that something that Donald Trump could do uh, in a campaign that would make some sense that would not only be compassionate, but it would, it would address yeah. a frustration that, that, you know, millions of Americans have. Well, what it is, is it's not a political movement per se, but it's really a political issue. And that is, and it goes to a very important issue. If you look at the polling, one of the things is um, public safety. Americans are not feeling as safe as they used to do, as they used to. And that's one of the top concerns when people are being polled about what they care about this new election. And it goes to what we're seeing in these major cities, these Democrat-run cities with prosecutors that don't prosecute people. Um, so if we think it's hard to put people in jail, think how hard it's going to be to put people in institutions. Um, I think what it is, is he's going to be able to hit a nerve, or, or a Republican candidate will hit a nerve for voters. They may not know, understand all the nuances about institutionalization, mental health, and those kind of things. But what they do know and they care about and they want someone to address is the fact that they don't feel safe in their cities. Um, whether it's due to but a, but a, drug but a way, addicts but a way, but, or but, people but, living but a on way the street. To, but, but, but Stephanie, it's a, a way, a, the overall feeling. A, a way to oh, do ahead. that would, would be, and this is a way to do that, would be part of this movement. It would it would have to be, and I mm -hmm. think it would have to be a bipartisan effort. I don't think it could just be Republicans, yeah. and maybe maybe Democrats would hate this idea because Donald Trump suggested it. Yeah. But Ray Hanania, to you, <laughs> yeah. do do you see the the possibility, or or how widespread is the frustration at homelessness within the people that you deal with that they would want to look at a new government policy that really it reverts to an old government policy that was all screwed up. We hopefully can not make the same mistake we made 50, 60 years ago in institutionalizing everybody and throwing away the key and not having quality mental health, uh, you know, involvement with their lives. Hopefully we'd be able to do it a lot better in the, in this century. But is there a political will that, that could, could come out of this? 
from the American political leadership, Ray? I don't know. President Trump was president for four years. He made that his priority and was unable to do anything with it. And I have to say that. Oh, I don't think he made that his priority, though. I don't. I don't think he he talked about it all the time. Well, he did. He talked about it forever. But listen, here's the most important thing. Until he saw a squirrel and changed what he was talking about. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead, Ray. Uh, He was a Republican and he didn't do anything about it. I'm going to say that uh, for most people, homelessness is not an issue until one, it's in their face Mm -hmm. or it's Thanksgiving or Christmas or Easter. Let's be honest. We don't think about homelessness. Uh, We think about migrants, mainly because it's a big political issue now between Republicans and Democrats. Um, There are some migrant tents popping up in a lot of places around Chicago. Yes. Um, But it's a monetary issue also. It has a lot to do with money. And we're pouring a lot of money into it and not seeing anything being done about it. I think you got to go back to square one. You have to enforce immigration. You have to strengthen our borders and then create a process that allows legally people to come in. And we're see, not but, doing see, but, well, but what I what, what I'm what I'm trying to separate here, Ray, I'm trying I, to separate the migrant crisis, which has all I, I don't if you, you separate it from the homelessness of Americans. Right. And, and, and well, I, I'm not I'm well, not by the way, was, I'm not I, I'm not well, suggesting that the migrants uh, need to be put into an institution because I don't know whether they have drug problems. I don't know, uh, you know, whether they have mental health yeah. problems. That's why I want to separate them to out. Them. What? Well, but here's though. the thing, it, Stephanie. It, it goes to a, it goes to a much bigger issue. What people care about, they're not going to focus on the details of the homelessness. What people care about is the sense of safety they have. And when they see people wandering the streets, for whatever reason, that is when people start to feel unsafe and say, "What happened?" Now we can talk about my former boss. I got to cut you. I got to cut you off because we got. I've got to cut you off right now because we got to go to a break. We'll be back. I'm Bruce Dumont. Don't go away. One eight hundred seven two three eighty two eighty nine. Goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, Okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. 
probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back. We continue with our broadcast. Rayhan Ania is here. He is with Arab American, um, Arab DailyNews.com. Stephanie Hitt is with us. She is a conservative commentator from the great Commonwealth of Virginia. And Eric Cohn joins us. Uh, he is with the Acton Institute. He joins us from Grand Rapids, Michigan, and also uh, sits in on this program whenever I am away or feeling ill and uh, does a great job when he's here. Uh, we have a caller on the line. Let's go to Robert. He is listening to us in Carmichael, California. Robert, go ahead. Good day. Thank you for taking my call. A uh, couple of things, please. Um, first, the family that you came across shouldn't have been here in the first place. We yes. do need to enforce the immigration laws. Yep. Uh, the Bracero program worked very, very well many decades ago. There's no reason it can't work again. Um, yes, the mentally ill and people who need to be uh, gotten off their drugs do need to be institutionalized. But another, if I don't, if you don't mind, if I can reach back to the previous hour. Sure. Um, the, this, the Palestine, Palestinian, there is no such country as Palestine. Why don't we call the Arabs and the Ethiopians and the Syrians and the Lebanese, if they wish to be identified properly, identify this, this, this man who was on the show said his father fought against the Nazis with the OSS. Well, what was he? He certainly wasn't a Palestinian because Palestine didn't exist till 1948. So what was he? And that's his heritage. He's not Palestinian. Let's let him respond. Ray Hanania, go ahead. My dad came here in the 20s. He was a very proud American. He did not have dual citizenship, by the way. Um, but his brothers and sisters were in Palestine, and he brought him here after the war in 1951 they were refugees who were pushed out of their homes. They had homes and property in Jerusalem. My mother's fam family is from Bethlehem. We have land there we can't get. So I don't care what you call it. Why don't you just recognize so they were Jews. me and say, or, well, Hananiah is a Jewish name, but I'm Christian. Okay. 
Well, you convert it. That's fine. And, and that's not what I'm arguing about. There's no such thing as Palestine as a country or a state. Well, I mean, it that's simply, your opinion, but, you know, it's, it's that opinion that causes and no, it's, the problem. It's, it's just fact. It's All complete, right. total fact. Okay. okay, one last word to you, Ray. One last word to you, and then we're going to move on. Thank you. Have we, a good night. Move Thank on you, then. Robert. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Thank you for your comment. Okay. Um, I'm just going to say he's wrong. Sorry. Okay. Uh, well, I, Bruce, back, I would have come back to. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Brett. Something go ahead, that you Eric. were saying about wanting to. You wanted to separate these two issues of yeah. the migrant crisis and the homeless crisis. And I think we yeah. can separate them, and this is the way that we should. Um, the migrant crisis is a federal issue primarily because we are talking about an immigration problem. Right. As I said before, I would just like us to have some kind of an immigration policy that we could begin enforcing. The homelessness crisis is a local issue. And this is where what uh, we was being said in the last segment about uh, money, uh, I think, really comes to the fore. One, this is a place where the people closest to the problem should be dealing with it, right? So civil society and local governments. But uh, to quote the great um, neoconservative thinker Nat Glazer, you know, at some point in the 19, late 1960s, 1970s, major cities decided that they were going to stop doing the things that they knew how to do, like pick up the trash and apparently also uh, police and keep people safe. And they decided they were going to try to do things that no one knows how to do, like solve poverty. And we have been pouring money and money and more money into these problems. And we see how poorly run places like the city of Chicago are with that kind of governance. It, it is a local issue that is going to need to be addressed locally. But these governments have hamstrung themselves by becoming so expansive, by doing so much more than they should be doing and not dealing with these fundamental issues that cities used to know how to deal with and seem to not know how to handle anymore. Do we need states, well, Ray? Let me just let's follow up with you, Eric. Do we need states uh, that will move towards deinstitutionalization and uh, we use that as a laboratory to see if it works or not? If you're saying this is a statewide issue and would, would any state be willing to try it? I don't know if any state would be willing to try it. The problem is going to be that it is going to be in major cities where you're going to have to start addressing this problem. And right. it has mostly been far left progressive leadership in those cities. And I just don't think they're going to be championing it the bit to start institutionalizing people against their will, even if it is perhaps the best way to get some of those people help. But well, I think we should want, for the they... question about what could individual people be doing. Individual people should work with civic organizations, religious organizations, if they want to help assist people who are homeless and then help mm -hmm. them find the kind of help. There are services out there. There are great organizations mm -hmm. who can help them get the kind of help that they need. But to me, this is a fundamental failure of local government. Well, also, I think well, I would, I would I'll give you in just a second, but let me just make one one point here. When when the movement around the nation uh, came that we wanted to deinstitutionalize people. It was primarily the progressive left that thought this was a good idea because they had seen, uh, you know, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and uh, The Snake Pit was another movie in the late 40s. And they created an image of what mental institutions in the United States were like. And, and there, was a, there, was a, there was a political movement that grew out of that they had that, a point. Led, that, that had a point to lead to deinstitutionalization. So my question, and I, I think, I, let me just ask this question. Do you agree now that we've had 50, 60 years to reexamine that? Could we create a new system of deinstitutionalization that would avoid all the negatives 
that led to the movement back 50, 60 years ago? Couldn't we, couldn't we find a way to do it right now? We, we could, but it would, it would very much have to do with addressing drug problems. Because I think a yes. lot, a lot of what we're seeing and the fact that we just saw a wave and we still see a wave of the legalization of marijuana and we could debate this one. This isn't maybe another day, but there's no doubt that the legalization of marijuana, especially in these major uh, you know, cities, has led immensely to um, the degradation of, of the streets. And I, anyone, anyone walking around New York City or, or Washington, D.C., the smell is atrocious. It is, it is not helping the homeless situation that needs help. Um, okay. And so unless I, it I has to be is... with drug policy. It has to be troubled, yeah. coupled with drug policy. Er, er, and you know, we, we know what can bit. be done because Rudy... Rudy Giuliani did it in the 90s okay. in New Eric, York City. Eric. So we know Look, it so can I, be done. I, okay. Eric. I agree with Stephanie up to a point in that, um, yes, <laughs> drug policy does intersect here. Uh, focusing on the marijuana question is bizarre to me here because most of the quality of life kind of stuff, if like if all we're complaining about is the smell, I, well, I hated the smell of cigarette smoke on the streets before, and that was uh, and that has been pushed out there by policies to get it out of buildings. Okay, so uh, that one doesn't bother me as much. No, but it, it's the are... effect of people laying around, you know. But I don't connect these two in the same way that you are. I mean, I think you're talking about people who have problems with much more serious drugs like heroin, like fentanyl, um, like crystal meth. Uh, and if I please don't get me into the marijuana being a gateway drug <laughs> thing that is absolute bunk, that has been bunk from the beginning that people started pushing that narrative. So, like, look, yes, there are drug control problems. There are people with drug uh, addiction problems who need help. And we should be focused on getting those people help and building up their social capital so that they don't end up in places like they are now. One thing, by the way, going back to the deinstitutional movement, when that when that was moved through the Congress, this is back in the in the in the 50s and early 60s. Uh, part of that was government funds were supposed to go and build community based institution or community based services for those that were being released from institutions. For the most part, for the most part, that did not happen. And so we have a situation in Chicago where Mayor Rahm Emanuel, several years ago, because of budgetary reasons, closed all the mental health facilities that we had that were city-run. Our new mayor, one of the things that he has promised and is on, on the on the on the verge of doing, he wants to reopen. He has money to open the the rehabilitation efforts in the community, and we'll have to see whether that works or not. That that may help reduce the issue of homelessness as well as uh, drug abuse and everything else. But it's not uh, uh, it's, it's not something that we're going to know instantly. Uh, Ray Hanania, uh, any further thoughts on this before we move to another subject? The, the only thing I'd say is that homelessness and the migrant issue are actually the same. All those migrants are homeless. The money that's being spent on them is they're spending more money per capita for migrants than they are per capita on the quote unquote normal homeless. That's right. So I think the communities don't like back it. To, 
No, they don't. Right. And I think it all goes back to enforcing our immigration laws and then taking care of everybody equally and the same. But I think one of the big problems is it's a political issue. Democrats see a lot of these migrants and immigrants as potential voters. That's the right. sad fact. And I've never done a study of that, but I believe that. Um, Republicans see it as uh, uh, being rep uh, related to crime, I think, more than anything. I think let's go back to the beginning. Enforce the law. Don't let anybody in unless they meet the criteria. And part of that criteria was where are you going to stay? Who is right. going to pay for Who's you? Who's your sponsor? Don't go on the public payroll. Right. Well, I think everybody would agree. I, I, I think most people would agree with that. Maybe some Democrats would not. But I think most Republicans would think. And, and, and one of the situations, and again, it came up last week when we were discussing the issue in Chicago, one of the reasons uh, that the Venezuelans in Chicago, we do not have a Venezuelan community in Chicago. And yet he was telling the story about 30,000 uh, people from, uh, from Ukraine came to Chicago when the war broke out. And we have a large Ukrainian community, and uh, they merged into that community and are, are living, uh, living at least uh, decently right now. Back shortly from Chicago, one more second. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike's sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike's subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike's sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. 
once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont, we continue on Beyond the Beltway, and we head to Kathy listening to us on KLBJ in Austin, Texas. Go ahead, Kathy. Hello. How are you? We're um, fine. Well, I know you you just ended the conversation about um, homeless people uh, yeah. with mental issues. and However, I'm, I'm retired from the state of Texas mm-hmm. and worked for Health and Human Services. And it's well known that uh, these advocacy groups believe very strongly in the rights of the mentally ill. And so, you know, just thinking about changing the law and throwing people in institutions and treating them is, is not that easy because you've got advocacy groups that will represent these people and possibly sue the state of Texas or the the federal government. There's a very strong belief in mental health uh, advocacy. Is there some other term we could use than throw them in the institution? Is there a process? Well, Is I mean that 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 I I think I would uh, I think I would object to that term as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is, no. Is well, there is there a nicer way to say that? <laughs> well, if you have someone on the street who is needing treatment for mental health issues and as you as you were talking about um the institutions were were this was an experiment that started 50 years ago and this is what we have have come up with and now it's 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 very sad that these people are homeless and on the streets and and aren't are, a lot of them don't want treatment. They'll right. tell you that they don't want to go right. there. Right. So they have the right not to go. So I, I, the the system has to figure out a way. But do you, to but do, do you think, and, Kathy? Do you, do you believe? I mean, granted, they they have a right not to go. I understand that. But if there was a local facility. Not necessarily a, a, a uh, you know, something like the Pacific Garden Mission, which does great work, but a lot of people don't like to go there because they don't like the sermon. There's sermons. That, that's a religious element. They may not like that. But if there was a, if there was a facility where they could go and, and spend a night and talk with, with, with therapists, do you think they would not take advantage of it? Or, again, are, are we asking people with potential mental illness to make rational decisions, which they are not able to do? Um, personally, and, and uh, I'm not sure uh, if they would choose to go. I think that, that 
that has been offered to some of them in the past locally mm-hmm. here in Austin. And I have not heard, of course, unprofessional. This is my personal opinion. Right. I am not aware that many, many of them choose to take that option. Right. They choose to well, stay on the street. And, and another thing is the belief is that their home or where they're living on the street is their home. And so right. whenever people go in, whenever it's, it's um, decided that they're going to clean up a homeless camp for whatever reason, the, the belief in, among some people in the community is that, oh, we're, we're, dis- we're intruding on their home. So mm-hmm. these, these homeless communities and camps are identified as the home of these people, right. just like the houses that I'm sitting in. Right. And so well, you, and, somehow yeah. we've got to change the conversation or the thought of what these homeless communities really represent. Stephanie Hitt's got a comment for you, Kathy. Well, Stephanie, go well, ahead. And I think, Kathy, I mean, you're hitting on it, and you live in Austin's, and I know there's some famous parks, you know, parks with some large communities. Part of it is these these cities um, have now ex- uh, allowed homelessness to happen. They no longer enforce vagrancy laws. They no longer enforce trespassing laws. They no longer enforce ordinance, you know, uh, nuisance ordinances and things like that. And so more people might choose a facility if, in fact, there's nowhere else to go. If you don't have the choice, to pick a sidewalk, then you're more likely to go there, or you're more likely to, you know, uh, you know, find uh, maybe even clean yourself up. But the point is, we have allowed too much tolerance for this alternative lifestyle or way to live. Well, and, also, and, and what right. could and come? We've embedded uh, rights in right. that now. What what also could come out of this, Stephanie and everybody? What could come out of this is. There could be a transformation. We could go back to some form of, you know, institutionalization, even if it's on a community-based level, which seems to me to be a lot um, more more sensible than a large institution. But the the point is, we could do it, and all we would all be for it. I mean, everybody, at least on this panel, yeah. we would be for it. Society would think this is a good idea. It could be another example of do-gooders creating a policy for people that aren't interested in it. We, we might sleep comfortably at night because we did it. It doesn't mean that those that we wanted to help are going to take advantage of it because of a mental illness or because of this belief that, you know, I live on the, I live on the streets because I want to live on the streets. I don't want to live in a family. I don't want. I don't want any rules, and and you know there are there are tens of thousands, if not millions, of people who who feel that way. And again, it it, it may be that uh, they they represent the biggest you know political c- community out there, and they're fighting the idea of what the rest of us want to do. So, on that you note, know, Kathy, let me tell you what it's. Thank you very much. We're we're out of time. I wish we had more time, but we do not. Eric Cohn, thank you very much for being with us. 
Uh, also, Stephanie Hitt, thank you very much for being with us. Ray Hanania, thank you. You've done a terrific job this evening. Our thanks to everybody for listening. Our thanks to Fritz Goldman for making this program possible. I'm Bruce Dumont. Good night from Chicago. Chicago.